if you're trying to make any kind of meaningful, effective change in your life, well, you have come to the right place because that is what my expert guest and I are here to help you do. Welcome to We're Talking Shift. This is the podcast where all we do is talk shift because when we're stuck and need to rise to a challenge, make a health shift, a relationship or an emotional shift, well, the first thing we have to shift, my friends, is our thinking. That is the antidote to feeling stuck. I'm Lori Bischoff, and I'm so glad you're here. Now, let's get busy. Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to We're Talking Shift. Well, today's guest was on with me about a year ago. Actually, it was episode 102, and we had a really fantastic conversation about, well, about a lot of things, but to name a couple, we talked about the process of personal creation. We talked about the law of cause and effect. We talked about being happier than God. You're like, wait, what? You heard me, happier than God. We talked about that and a bunch of other things. And so I am delighted to have him back again to talk about his newest book, The God Solution, and why after already writing, well, over three dozen books about God, Neil Donald Walsh felt that there was still an important message needing to be shared. I mean, I don't know what was left, right? Well, I didn't until I read this book. But then, actually, as I state in my own book, there's always, always more. Neil has written 39 books on contemporary spirituality and its practical application in everyday life, which is why I love his writings and teachings so much. Um, and that includes the nine book Conversations with God series. His titles have been translated into 37 languages. A modern day spiritual messenger whose words have touched the world in profound ways my world included. I am truly honored to have Neil back to spend more time with us. So without further ado, welcome back to We're Talking Shift, Neil. Thank you, Laurie. Those are very kind things to say, and I appreciate the opportunity to share this, this time with you. But I'm very clear, Laurie, that all of us are messengers. Every single person is really sending a message to life about life. Through, through the process of life itself. And so I don't, I don't want anyone to think that I imagine myself to be somehow special or different from anyone else because I, I truly don't think of myself in that way. Mm -hmm. But that said, I do think that some of the messages of the conversations with God dialogues have brought people to a space of greater clarity about themselves, about life, and about God itself. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad if that's been if that's been true. Unbelievably true. Um, I mean, it's like I mentioned in the intro, one of the one of the things that I think is so powerful about the way that you write is that um, it's, it's easy enough for anybody to understand. Um, you don't have to be, you know, a, an expert at the highest echelons of academia to be able to read the words on the page, number one. And the other thing is, it's there's always the practical application. And I think that in a lot of spiritual writings, um, you get you get messages, but sometimes the practical application of what to do in in our lives in this day and age is is missing. So 
um, your your writings and teachings never fall short of that. So I, I find them to be extraordinarily valuable and as clearly do uh, the multitudes across the globe. Um, we were talking, I know you're on Clubhouse, so I was I popped on there to one of your your convo conversations about a month ago. And um, one of the questions that you had uh, posed to the conversation going on uh, in the group was, I think it was something to the effect of uh, what is the biggest problems or problem we as humans have. Um, and I thought that that was a really interesting uh, prompt and to listen to what some of the other people in the conversation were bringing up. Uh, do you do you happen to remember that? Asking that question? Um, no, but does it matter? No, it doesn't. But I, I wanted to talk a little bit about about that because it I guess in a way it does tie in a little bit to the the book, the new book. What what is the biggest problem going on here? So um I think that I think we'll we'll circle back around to that because I think it's just gonna come up organically, the answer to that as we talk about about the book. So let's um I don't know, let's talk about let's talk about the biggest dilemma that humanity faces, which probably is part of that question, and then what you think is the solution and why. And then, of course, before we leave everyone today, um, we'll talk about the mechanics and the processes that people can start to maybe put into place. What do you think? I think the biggest challenge facing the world today is the idea that, that we're separate from uh, each other and from everything really yeah. there's, there's a notion that we have been embracing as a species for now thousands and thousands of years and the notion is i'm i'm separate from everything else i'm separate from you i'm even separate from my world i mean there's the tree outside the window and there's the bird in the sky but we're separate from each other i mean that's what it is and i am what i am and and worse worst of all the idea that i'm separate from that notion uh, of a higher power that I call God. So I really feel very alone. I'm speaking now about the challenge facing most of humanity, yeah. feeling really alone, which is hard to believe on a planet with over seven and a half billion people, but I'm allowing myself to feel that I'm alone because my culture has told me I'm separate from everything else. I'm a separate entity and, and that's just what is. Yeah, and so um, and now now that problem has been exacerbated as we see the challenges facing humanity in every area of our life, with the uh, seemingly endless, ongoing, and uh, apparently unstoppable pandemic that's been going around the planet. If it's one variation after another, and mm -hmm. we're waiting, we're, just as we approach the time when it starts to seem like maybe we've defeated this thing, you know, in the largest sense. Then along comes another variant, so so on and so forth. So yeah. we find ourselves like, wow, is this ever going to end? And we're really facing that situation, frankly, Laurie, not just in the area of uh, the pandemic, but in every area of our life. Wow, is the mistreatment of humanity, of its environment, of its ecology, ever going to end? Mm -hmm. Is our worse yet is our mistreatment of each other yeah. ever going to end? Are we going to find a, a an end to uh, the kinds of racial and economic and faith-based discriminations that we see all over the world. 
which is what it was no longer want to be tolerant of each other. If you're different from me, if you look different, if your political views are different, if your economic status is different, uh, if your spiritual beliefs are different, if, if your sexual orientation is different, if anything's different from the way I am, then you're them and I'm me. It's us and them, us and them, us and them. At a yeah. level that I've never, never really before seen on this planet. So, and the biggest dilemma is what I call the God dilemma is why is it this way? I mean, if there really is a God, you know, I, of course, I wrote a series of books called Conversations with God. And people are asking me all the time, Neil, if you really think there is a thing called God, why is the world the way it is? Yeah. Why, why, why doesn't God just step in and make things better? And, you know, uh, and how are we to believe in a God who allows everything to fall apart like this? And apparently he doesn't want to do anything to change things. Apparently. Well, it's a fair question. It is it's a fair a, question. It, 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 and that is, um, I mean, two things. Like, I think one, you, you're so right about everyone um, feeling or believing that they're separate from everyone and everything else, that everyone's kind of their, their own, you know, their own individual planet. And it's hard for, it's, I think it's hard for people to discern what is meant by you're not really separated because, you know, here we are in the physical realm and with our physical eyes, we see everything over there and over there. And it's not, we don't see the connection. You know what I mean? We don't, people don't pick up on, on the essence of the connection that's beyond matter and the physical realm. So, uh, I, now it's coming back to me in that conversation that we had on on Clubhouse was you know how how do you speak to people in such a way that allows them to open up to the idea that there is a lack of separation in in a sense that you are just not aware of yet. Do, do you know what I'm saying? What do we tell them? to take, how do we tell them to take the steps to start being open to that possibility? Just to open your eyes, to actually see uh, that there is no separation. There's only the illusion of difference. You know, I, I, I tell people, um, there is only one thing in the universe, but expressing itself in different ways. And I, I invite them to look at their own hand and say, hold up your hand. Mm -hmm. Now, now here, oh, now I see five fingers on my hand. They're, they're all different. See, here's the, here's the problem, Lori. Uh, people are deeply invested in not disappearing. And they feel that if, if they buy into, if they embrace the notion of oneness, of unity, that all things are one thing, that they're giving up their individuality. Right. So they, so they think that unity erases individuality. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and so because we want to maintain our individuality, we think that we have to be separate from each other. My, my fingers are individual. There's not a one that looks like the other. They all look different. They function differently. They have different abilities, different uh, purposes, mm -hmm. and yet they are not in any way separate from each other because they're all part of the same hand 
and the hand is all part of the same body. I was given this actually illustration in my conversations with God as a metaphor for us to be able to really see all I see. It's possible for that which is unified. It is possible for that which is one thing to nevertheless maintain its individuality and, yeah. its, and its separation. And so, uh, and it's, it's not its separation in the classic sense of the word, but it's its individuality, mm -hmm. it's, its difference. It's so we can we can hang on to our differences. So differences do not have to create division. And and that's that's what I say to people. I also in, invite people to to ask themselves: Have you ever met anyone in your life? By the way, most people say yes. At least once it's happened to me. Have you ever met anyone in your life? that you feel almost instantly, right after meeting them, we've, we've known each other we've, for, for, for years. Yeah. This, this, it's, this can't be our first, uh, our first meeting, our first time being together. I, I know you. In fact, I know you so well. I feel almost like there's no separation between us. I feel almost one with you. Uh, in romantic notions, we call that love at first sight. But really, what it really is, is instant awareness of a fundamental truth mm. that that we, we, in fact, share that sense of oneness with everyone. We're simply much more open to it, depending on the energetic vibration with certain people than we are with, with everyone. But we, 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 once we decide that that's what's true, uh, then we can embrace and step into the direct experience of our oneness with each other. And that'll change our lives. That'll change what we say, how we think, what we do, and how we experience our day-to-day -day adventure here on this planet. Mm -hmm. At least it certainly has for me. And for me, I, I totally relate to that. Um... So, so you think, so let's talk some more then about the dilemma uh, and the, you talk a lot in the book about the main dilemma being that we all have a different definition of what God is. Yeah. yeah and, and therefore what we are, we, mm -hmm. all, we all have a different definition as well of what mm -hmm. we are. So uh, what, what I have said in the book, which is titled The God Solution, mm -hmm. I've said mm -hmm. that, that the solution to, uh, to this dilemma is for us to do something very daring. It's, it's, it's um, way out of the ordinary. It, it's, it's to become theological revolutionaries, to do something that's theologically revolutionary, which is to redefine God. To, to, to provide a new definition for God. And I, I offer that definition as an opportunity for people to explore if it could be true for them, if it has resonance with them. I'm suggesting that the God solution is to redefine God in two words, to say that God is perfect love. Now, you know, Laurie, whenever I offer that in front of an audience, somebody invariably steps, steps up in the back of the room and says, Neil, 
are you telling me that I've listened to this whole lecture for this revolutionary idea that God is love? We all know that God is love. Even all the world's religions at least agree on that, that God is love. Mm -hmm. And I have to stop my, my, my audience member and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I didn't say God is love. That's not what you heard me say. I said God is pure love. And then my audience member will say, all right, what's the difference? And then I explain to them that the difference is pure love needs, requires, expects, hope for, asks, and demands nothing in return. Now, if we accept that that's the definition of pure love, and if we accept that God is pure love, then we do something that's really theologically revolutionary. We decide that God needs, requires, demands, hopes for, asks for, and certainly commands nothing from us. Well, that eliminates the 4,000 religions that are now existing on the face of the earth. Because virtually every, by the way, that number didn't come out of thin air. That's actually mm -hmm. the number of religions that there are on the planet. 4,300 religions currently and faith traditions being practiced on the face of the earth. Google it and you'll find out that I didn't make that number up. But, yeah. but if we decide that God needs and requires, demands nothing from us, we've eliminated the dogma and the doctrine of virtually all of those religions. Which so pure, unconditional love. I mean, we're talking about the purest, truest form of unconditional love. Yes. Fair. Love that needs nothing, needs nothing in return, in return mm -hmm. and requires nothing in return and asks for much less demands, nothing in return. That is revolutionary because it not only changes the dogma of all the world's religions, but it changes the, how would I put it, the operating ethic of most of the world's institutions. If we thought that we could operate our politics, our economics, our social systems, and our spiritual systems from that new ethic that I need, require, demand, ask for, uh, and nothing in return from you, it would shift the way we function and operate on this planet. I'm not even sure that we would know how to do that. At well, at the outset, we'd have to teach ourselves how to yeah. do that. Yeah, and, and I think you're right because, you know, I mean, unconditional love isn't necessarily a new concept, but it does seem like it's a concept that for as long as I can, I don't know, as long as humans have been in existence, maybe, I'm not sure, that they seem to resist Yes, so it's not a new concept, but practicing it is new. Really practicing it and and really embracing it. Yeah, I mean, it's um, I think a lot of people, they know that, you know, logically, but then putting that into practice and putting it, it into practice in agreement even with with others, that seems to be that seems to be the, the step point right there. It's, it seems to be very difficult for most human beings to really be able to 100% embrace that and practice that, well, unconditional love, pure love. I agree because most people want something back for their investment. It's a barter system. 
Yeah. So, so, so whether they uh, know it or not, if they don't receive something back for the investment of their emotional energy in another person, in a way that we call love, mm -hmm. if they don't get something back, then they take back their love. Like, mm -hmm. Because they, really what they've been doing is using the other person as a means of loving themselves. See, if I yes. need something back from you, when I say I love you, then I'm really saying, I, I want love from you and I'll trade you. I'll love you if you love yeah. me back. So yeah. we have a trade deal. We have a trade right. deal. Like nations have trade deals. Mm -hmm. So and, and and on Valentine's Day, I, by the way, I'm, I've made a fortune last year designing the perfect Valentine's Day card. Mm -hmm. It says, it says, my dearest, my darling, I trade you very much. <laughs> Love it. And I will I will never stop trading you. I will trade you until the end of time. <laughs> but if you stop trading me, the deal is off. See, but you really, you know, yeah. you really love somebody when you can look them square in the eye and say, "I love you." And the joy of expressing that love is sufficient. Right, and we have that experience. Those of us, most of us, that are emotionally stable, mature people, have that experience. If we have children, if we have a child, there's that period of time when you know when a you have a baby and they, they, they don't give you anything back. They, they just show up and it's all unconditional love all the way for that child. And you're not expecting anything back. It's not a barter system. It's not, you know, if you sleep through the night, I'll feed you and love you the next day. Right? So you have that, you get a glimpse of that for a moment in time when you have this pure new infant, right? That, that you have just facilitate coming into the world. But then, yeah, as as we grow into adults, we we seem to lose lose that. Or as your child starts to grow, even a lot of times into an adult, even a parent will start to 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 lose a little bit of that. But I feel like people that have had children have a they have that moment in time when they have that new infant that they experience the true feeling of of pure pure love, unconditional love. Or a dog. Mm hmm. Yeah or a cat, or any beloved pet, even a horse in a pasture that's in your pasture, it's your horse. Yeah. It's interesting, and what's interesting about pets, which, which is fascinating, is that it violates the progression that you just described. That is, with our children, we hopefully love them unconditionally in the first earliest years of their life, but as they grow older, we begin to find things that you know, we would really wish could be different. And if their behaviors are are, are behaviors with which we do not agree, you might even actually withhold our love from them. Mm -hmm. you know, like, like my father used to say to me, from the time I was 12 years old forward, get a, get a haircut. Yeah. He just he did not want me to wear my hair you know, in a long style. And I wore my hair very long as, as a young person. And he didn't want me to do half the things I was doing. I was getting into broadcasting when I was 16. He didn't want that. He said, show business. You're going to get into show business, you know, and all of this. So, so, but now what's interesting is that it's reversed with pets. If you have a dog, you love the dog when it's a puppy enormously. And interestingly enough, the older the dog gets, the more you love it unconditionally mm -hmm. until it starts to be so old 
that it's losing its ability to you know, fend for itself or do certain things. And you start to love it even more, even more, even more. Right. You know? and, and so with, with pets, whether it's a horse or a dog or a cat or any, any beloved um, form of animal life, we love it even more the older that it gets. Mm-hmm. But but so wouldn't it be interesting if we could decide that every other human being was our dearest pet? Yeah. I mean it in the most loving way. Yeah. To, to be able to say, "Wow, I totally, I totally love you, and I need nothing back from you." But that's an advanced way of interacting with each other for sure, because we have not been taught that way of loving yeah so uh so we we play i love you if i love you if you love me and do these things that i need you to do Mm -hmm. it's it's interesting let's talk about uh idea heroes well you know i think that what i'm talking about here a god uh that loves with pure love that wants nothing in return that commands nothing in return that doesn't care whether we belong to a particular religion or act in a certain way or eat certain foods because our religions tell us no you can't have that food you can't eat that or you must wear a certain kind of a garment or you must you know behave in a certain way or you must belong to a particular religion and if you don't Mm -hmm. you're going to hell religions Mm -hmm. tell us that so the idea that God needs and wants and expects none of that is theologically revolutionary, as I've said. And it takes, as with all revolutions, it takes heroes for us to suggest, for anybody to suggest that we change our global ethic. So what I'm looking for and what I propose in the book, The God Solution, is that we all become idea heroes. And when I mention this again, when I mention this in lectures, people often say, I'm not quite sure what you mean by the phrase idea heroes. I give them a perfect example. Galileo was a wonderful example of an idea hero. He suggested, he didn't suggest, he actually declared outright that the earth revolves around the sun. And of course, at the time, the Catholic church taught that the sun revolved around the earth, that Mm. the earth and its inhabitants, we were the center of the universe, the most important beings in the cosmos. So they told uh, Galileo he would have to recant and and deny his own uh, scientific finding. He did not do that. So they put him under house arrest and they excommunicated him from the church as much as telling him that he's going to hell. 356 years later, three and a half centuries later, the Catholic Church came to its senses and said, um, oh, about, the, about that uh, disenfranchisement, about that excommunication of Galileo, we take it back. He, 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 he was right after all. But, you know, but he had to be an idea hero you know, for 356 years. Uh, because everyone was, or at least the authorities, the power, making him wrong. So an idea hero is someone who proposes an idea, knowing in advance that the largest number of people are going to vehemently disagree with him. 
there was a guy named um, Semmelweis. His name was Ignatz Semmelweis. He was a doctor in Hungary. And in Vienna, at a hospital in Vienna, he suggested, and imagine this, he suggested that doctors really ought to wash their hands in a sterilizing liquid, alcohol, for instance, because between procedures, because he was noticing a very, very high rate of infant mortality in that hospital. And what he noticed was that doctors were coming from other procedures, surgeries, even from the morgue, thank you, going right into the birthing room and bringing those germs with them because they didn't sterilize their hands, mm -hmm. nor did they sterilize the equipment because sterilization didn't exist because at that point, and we're talking about 1844, the medical profession didn't believe, believe it or not, didn't believe in the existence of a thing called germs. Mm -hmm. So Dr. Semmelweis said, no, 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 I think, I think that these things exist. We need to, you know, he's known as the father of sterilization, but poor man died in an insane asylum because at the time he was driven out of the medical profession for advancing the notion that we ought to sterilize our hands and our instruments between procedures. So he was an idea hero because yeah. you know he stuck he stuck to his guns, if you please. He's he's he stuck to his ideas, even when everyone was telling him how wrong he was. So we've mm -hmm. had idea heroes, both male and female, through the years who have stood up and said, No, Mother Teresa was another wonderful idea hero. And and so what we need today are idea heroes who will stand up and say, actually, I think it's possible. Mm -hmm. that we may not fully understand everything there is to understand about ourselves, about life, and about God. Right, right. The understanding of which would change everything. So it's I'm got me thinking. For... It's got me thinking when you're talking about idea heroes, and I immediately, I'm thinking about, you know, all of the, um, even a lot of the amazing advancements, some that you mentioned, um, you know, as we've, as we move through time, a lot of them are usually um, those people are, are met with, uh, that's, that's not possible, that's never gonna work, that's a terrible idea. And then, you know, they, you, you're never gonna be able to um, make a contraption that flies through the air. You know, <laughs> that's a terrible idea. Uh, we could go on and on. And then I go back to like the very way back to biblical years. And I'm thinking Jesus was a pretty great example of an idea hero to put it uh, mildly yeah to put it mildly he, i mean like the ultimate and what an impact that has had on humanity but you have to be willing as you pointed out you have to be willing to be prepared to be to be shut down to be ridiculed to be persecuted to be you know locked away to be shunned to be all of those things if you really believe in what your idea is you need to be prepared for that and boy if you if you have the courage uh, to do it you literally can change um you can change things about the world exactly and and move humanity forward in many degrees he had some, you know, some revolutionary ideas. Uh, I like uh, uh, to talk about some of his revolutionary ideas because here's a guy walking around telling people, love, love your enemies mm -hmm. and pray for those who persecute you and do good 
to those who do evil to you. And when a man slaps you on the right cheek, turn and offer him your left. And when a man asks you for your coat, give him your shirt as well. And when a man asks you to walk one mile with him, go with him too. And raise not your fist to heaven and curse the darkness not, but be a light unto the darkness yeah. that you might know who you really are and that all those whose lives you touch might know who they really are as well. Mm. Revolutionary ideas. I mean, Pontius yeah. Pilate brought him in and said, who do you think you are? Mm -hmm. Shut up. Stop saying this stuff. Or we're going to have to crucify you. Which, of course, they did. But he wasn't the only idea. You're a Buddha. Sure. Muhammad, bless his holy name. Moses. Yeah. Walking yeah. around, coming down from the mountaintop and suggesting, you know, here are some ideas that you may want to consider. How about honoring your father and your mother? How about how about we don't steal anymore? How about we don't how about we don't lie anymore? Right, and right. Sadly, what, what they did with the ideas that Moses was given by God on the mountaintop, they turned them, and that is the masses, turned them into commandments. And they said, No, you don't understand. These are not just suggestions, these are not just good thoughts. These are commandments, and if we don't do these things, we're going to hell. They did the same thing with the ideas of Jesus. They said, no, 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 you didn't understand. You, you either have to do what he's saying, or you're going to hell. Or, or because, which is the antithesis, of course, of what he was saying. Right. It's the opposite. Right. Of what right. he was saying. So, yeah. so the people of, of great, deep religious conviction don't want us to follow the teachings of the religion they want us to do just the opposite. Yes. And that's what's more wars of last sentence, more wars have been started on this planet over the past several thousand years in the name of God mm -hmm. than for any other single religion, single purpose. Well, it seems like, you know, there just seems to always be those few people that just have to mind everybody else's business. They, there's just always those few people who do not want the masses to be empowered with this type of, of knowledge of who they really are, because then, you know, then you are empowered if you know that, if you believe that, if you embrace that. And we just can't seem to, um, you know, I don't know, <laughs> the people that we end up voting or putting themselves in the place of, of, of ruling masses of people, um, I don't know, we haven't seemed to have found any that have this desire to empower the masses to do the things that we are talking about now. And I guess maybe because then, you know, if you don't have because then people become fearless, they become independent and you can't control people, you can't manipulate people when they, when they are empowered with the knowledge of who they really are, what's really possible, what they're capable of. So I, I don't know, I, I don't and know how we, go ahead. 
the the irony of that is that when they do have a full knowledge of who they are the need to control them disappears because their right. behaviors their behaviors are self-regulated their behaviors are um behaviors with which no one would disagree and no one would need to control it so when you know who you really are you begin to love everyone and everything without condition and that eliminates the need for control Mm-hmm. So, but, and, but the irony is that leaders don't see that. They, they, don't, they don't see that there's no need to control anyone once that person grasps fully their true identity, their reason for being on the earth, who they really are, and how they can express that in their daily life. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the... Um... You talk a lot about the difference between feeling an emotion and uh, and then, you know, how that ties in with a, a person's um, thought process. And it was interesting because I, as a as a student of of divine science and, and metaphysics myself for many decades, um, when I was first reading early on and I was like, wait you're talking about emotions first and and then i felt like i i was feeling like you were putting the cart before the horse for me of course i got over that when i read more and and got through the entire book and then it made sense but at first i was i have this order in my head of how things sort of flow and how our emotions are created so i'm very interested in you sharing your um, your process and about talking about the difference between feeling and emotion. Yeah, well, um, f- first, let me start by saying most people that I've observed, including myself when I was much younger, had the uh, experience or would say that emotions are, st- are, th- are uh, things that come over them. I was overcome right. by emotion. Right. I was, you know, and, and so they, they, they do not have the experience that they are creating their emotion and choosing their emotions deliberately. Yes. We are, of course, but most of us are not, um, not aware. To, either, either we're not aware or we're unwilling to em, embrace the idea because that would make us responsible. Correct. Every, every emotion that we are experiencing. Yeah, we can't even, have that. No, no, <laughs> exactly. So, so we say, well, I was overcome by emotion. You know, I, I'm, you know, I'm not being myself or whatever. So um, the first step, therefore, for me was to understand the difference between emotions and feelings, number one, and number two, the uh, process by which emotions are experienced and expressed. Um, in the old days, you know, in, in the earlier days of my life, at least, I was hearing so much from so many sources about think and grow rich, the power of positive thinking, you know, your mind creates your reality, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So mm-hmm. all I heard from the time I was 20 years old to the time I was 50 was you have to use your thoughts as the most powerful creative tool in your toolbox that can manifest your reality. And then I, I understood, I came to become very clear about the fact, ah, there, it is a powerful tool. There's mm-hmm. no question that, mm-hmm. that your thoughts are powerful tools, but there's a more powerful tool. 
it's your emotion because emotion takes thought and puts it into motion. That yeah. is, it moves it around. So yeah, we all know it's the energy. Thoughts, yeah, we all know that thoughts are energy, but 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 emotions are energy put into motion. Mm -hmm. And you can decide on an emotion prior to creating it in your mind as a thought. Yes, yes. And, and, and that's what's uh, uh, um, the secret formula in my in my view for how to ch change the way you're experiencing life to decide ahead of time what your emotion is going to be even before anything in particular happens yeah. then you don't have to rely on your thought about it because my thought betrays me so often my thought is based on what i read in the book somewhere or what i saw in the movie someplace or you know what i was taught as a child or even for that matter, God forbid, what I picked up from my video games or wherever I'm picking up my information mm -hmm. about life. And those mm -hmm. are my thought. That's my thought structure. But when I decide on the emotion that I choose and when I decide on the grandest, most wonderful emotion in any given situation, uh, suddenly I have found a formula that can change my life virtually overnight. Yeah. Because, and the reason that that works, Lori, in my experience, is that life circumstances and situations are entirely predictable. The, the, the exact events may not be predictable, but the circumstances and situations that uh, surround those events that arise as a result of, of, of events are very predictable. As an example, we will all feel betrayed between today and the time you leave the planet. It's going to happen to you it's one more time at least. It, 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 you, you will, we will all feel not disserved. We will feel disserved. Yeah. We will all feel disappointed. We'll also also feel joyous and happy and and um, and blessed. We will. These emotions are predictable, and we know that we 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 know that we are going to have those emotions arise in our life. The question is, can we decide ahead of time which emotion we choose to experience when certain exterior events occur in our life? The, the example I like to use in my life is, I have never liked it when I pay a lot of money for somebody to serve me, the airline ticket counter guy, you know, because airline tickets are pretty expensive. And when mm -hmm. you walk up to the desk, you expect to have your reservations. And when the man says to you, I'm sorry, Mr. Walsh, we don't seem to have a res reservation here for you. you know, I get pretty, I get pretty, you know, upset about that. Airport so, guy. Yeah, yeah, airport guy. Exactly. Do you do you realize that I'm a member of the Million Mile Club? Do you have do you know how many miles I've flown on your airline in the past? Yeah. You know, and I start giving yeah. them all a, a piece of my mind. Yeah, and my husband used thing. to be that guy too. <laughs> yeah. Airport, airport guy. Yeah. Yeah, right. And and uh, and the same thing. I'm a restaurant guy. You know, I mean, if I'm going to pay $165 for a one meal, you better, it better be exactly what I ordered and yeah. you better bring it to me, you know, on time and so forth. Anyway, yeah. the point, the point is what I learned in my life was what if I decided ahead of time, what emotion I preferred as a state of being to emerge from me in moments such as that. And, uh, I have to say, I have to admit that my darling wife you know, was the one who taught me that because mm. she saw me as airport guy one day in the airport. 
on our honeymoon. Oh, yeah, we're flying. We're, yeah, yeah. Hello, we're <laughs> flying off to get married, and we're, we're and we're going to be married and and live forever and ever ever after. And she sees me, and of course, that would be the time that the mm. clerk does not have the reservations exactly the way. Oh you know, he says, "I'm sorry, Mister Walsh, I don't seem to see you." And I, and I really lost it. And I turned to my wife and she kind of tugged on my arm a little bit from behind me. I, now looking back on it, in retrospect, I can imagine what she's thinking. This is the guy I want to spend my life with hmm. because I totally lost it with this clerk. You know, the, yeah. the nice person that she thought I was completely disappeared from the face of the earth in that moment. <laughs> and so she tugged on my sleeve and she took, I said, I said, what is it? She said, do you think there might be a better way to handle this? <laughs> and I, I so remember, calm, yeah, so logical. I know, and not just logical, but sweet and so so you know, so gentle. Yeah. She didn't even she didn't even say oh so, I, she didn't even say oh honey stop acting that way or way. She just simply asked me, do you think there might be a better way to handle this? That's a quality question right there, and Neil. I, and I looked at her and I said, wow, and I realized. And I said something to her that was brilliant, thank God, in the moment. I just looked at her and I said, now I know why I'm marrying you. <laughs> because you've given me back to myself. Mm. Knowing you has given me back to myself. And I was able to turn around to that guy behind the ticket counter and say, I'm so sorry. You know, you have to understand that this lady behind me, whether you believe it or not, is actually agreed to marry me. And we're, we're flying off on our honeymoon, which is a piece of personal information I didn't choose to give you. But that's why I'm a little bit sad about the fact that there's a problem with, you know, with right. the reservation. I said, please forgive me. I didn't mean to take it out on you. That's not really the best of who I am. It's not the best of me. And you know, this guy turned into an angel. Mm -hmm. He looked at me and he said, you know what? I get it. I totally hear you. I totally get it. Just a minute. He's tapping his computer. He says, you know, I do have a couple of seats in first class. If you'd be willing to take those at coach seat prices, and we'll put you in first class round trip. Would mm. that be acceptable? <laughs> I said, whoa. <laughs> it's a true story and yeah and then I, believe... I decided but what made what made me uh, remember that is i decided in that moment I'm, i sat down and i made a list of the four or five things that really really you know pull my chain that, that really caused me to cause me to lose it in in the past and i made a list of those of those circumstances and then i decided on paper the next time that happens I'm going to choose this emotion. And I chose my emotions ahead of time. Yes. For instance, people being late for appointments is one thing, you know, they, don't they understand my, my time is important? You know, all that stuff that I would get into. And so I made, I made that list and I started using that list as a means of emoting. Those were my emotions. Mm -hmm. and, my, and so I didn't have, let my thoughts create my emotions. I allowed my emotions to create my thoughts. I simply reversed the whole process. 
And that produced a whole different way of thinking for me about the world at large and other people in particular. And Laurie, a new way for me to think about me. I yes. changed my thoughts about myself. Mm -hmm. I decided, you know what? I really know how to be a nice person. <laughs> Under any circumstances. Under all circumstances. Right, because it's easy to be a nice person when everything is going well. Of course. But it's, 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 when, the, it's when the challenges arise or you know something happens that is something you really didn't want to happen. That's when you're put to the test, really, to see how much you've been able to master your emotions and still be that good person, that nice person, that understanding person in any circumstance. And there's so much power in that. And I get exactly what you're saying. I, I you know, I, I was practicing for a long time doing that same thing and not getting attached to an outcome having a preference i'd like things to go this way but if they don't i'm gonna still feel i'm gonna still be in my state of happiness no matter what so i thought about it ahead of time i know how i'm gonna feel regardless of how things unfold if i know there's a situation coming up that you know maybe could go one way or another um so it it's very empowering and you really can shift not only have you have you shifted the way that you show up? Um, but you shift the way other people then, the, there's a domino effect. So like your uh, situation in the airport, had you continued to be airport guy and not you know, heeded the suggestion of, of your lovely wife, um, you know, he, then the, the guy at the counter would have been, you know, upset and frustrated, angry, and it would have just snowballed to other people that may be coming up in line after you. Your energy would have permeated the atmosphere, the whole cabin on the plane. I mean, there is really an energetic domino effect that happens. No question so when, about it. Yeah, yeah. So when you choose, which we have the complete ability and power to do how we want to sh show up how we want to walk into the room it's amazing how you can literally shift all of the energy in the room and and help everyone to kind of be showing up at that higher level if you will you know you know laurie the desire to do that the the motivation to actually do that i think uh, arises when we embrace fully and absolutely our true reason for even being here. Mm -hmm. I mean, what we're discussing really is the, is a larger question. Why am I here yeah. on earth? Well, who am I and why am I here? What is the point of my life on, on the planet? And what I have done is I've tried to use that as a contextualization process. That is, I recontextualize the moments of my life within the framework of my answer to that question. Why am I here? Who am I? And you know, mm -hmm. am I just a physical, as we've discussed, I think we've discussed perhaps once before, but am I just a physical entity, like a bird or a fish in the sea? Or am I actually a spiritual entity having a physical experience? Yeah. And if yeah. I'm a spiritual entity, then why am I here? Why in the world would I place myself in this environment 
if I'm really a spiritual entity? And the answer to that question holds the secret to transforming one's life. At least it did for me, because yeah. I decided that the reason that I'm here is for me to demonstrate my true identity, to experience and express who I really am, thus to evolve myself at the level of soul. If I'm here for the purpose of evolving my soul, if evolution is the process of life in which I am playing an individual and important role for my soul, if that's true, then I have a whole different context within which to ask myself, you know, what emotion do I choose in this particular given event? I've come up with a magic question that has really helped me a lot. Um, when, when something is going on in my life that's a little bit untoward, that's not exactly what I'd hoped for or anticipated, I will ask myself, what does this have to do with the agenda of my soul? It's a powerful question. Mm -hmm. I make it up in the morning and just have a little bit of a tiff, not a big argument, but just a little bit of an unpleasant moment with my beloved spouse. It's not going quite as smoothly as I would like. Now in the old days, I would insist, of course, that I was right about whatever we were discussing. It's a given, of course, a given. That's, that's true. I'm right about everything. And I have been since I was a very young person. So yeah. I, understand, yeah, I understand that I am right. That's a given. But uh, rather than step into an expression that would allow my darling to know that I'm right and she's wrong about this particular topic, these days when something like that happens, maybe it's with a neighbor across the street who said something that, that I didn't quite appreciate, or maybe it's with some national political figure who's making a statement that I completely disagree with. Whatever mm -hmm. it might be, I'll ask myself the question, wait a minute, wait a minute. What does this have to do with the agenda of my soul? Now, I've created a whole new context within which to frame my response to, right. what's, now to what's now going on. And you know, that question is powerful and it works in many ways, even on small things like reaching into the fridge to grab a snack between meals. Oh, and there's that chocolate cream pie sitting right there on the top shelf. Mm -hmm. And, and as, I, as I watch my hand go into the refrigerator, I can ask myself the question, wait a minute, wait a minute. What does this have to do with the agenda of my soul? And that question is transformative. It's yeah. powerful. Yeah. It, and it doesn't necessarily mean, by the way, that I don't have the chocolate cream pie. It right. might mean that I do have the chocolate cream pie but that I allow myself to enjoy it without guilt. Yes. Well, and even to before that, you actually paused and were present enough in the moment to have a thought about it rather than just being on autopilot and, and doing things without really thinking. So, I mean, I think that that is the, just the practice of, of teaching yourself how to, when there is any sort of decision or choice to be made to be able to be so mindful and in the moment of what you're about to say or do that you actually pause give it some thought and then proceed like you said you know in the best way or without guilt or 
but it will only work. What, what does this have to do with the agenda of my soul? It will only work if we know what the agenda of my soul is. But yeah. if a person says, I'm, I, don't, I don't even know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. What is the agenda of my soul? So the first thing that every person needs to do if they truly want to embark on this particular path is to come to clarity about the agenda of their soul. What is the agenda of my soul? If you don't know what that is, the question yeah. will, will just confuse you. Right. It's, it's kind of like you have to um, you have to know what the destination is and then you can work backwards from there. But if you don't know where you're going, if you don't know what the target is, then you could you just kind of you're like a ping pong ball just bouncing around, um, you know, and and you're at the mercy then of all kinds of other things rather than knowing. Where am I going? What am I doing? Why am I doing this? What's my, what is my purpose? What's the agenda? What's the, what's my North star? And then once you know that it's so much easier to work backwards from there, because that way, every, every choice you make, you understand, is it moving me in the direction of my, of my North star of, of my goal, or is it moving me in, in the other way? And it makes it easy sometimes to make really difficult choices if you if you simply know that and, and yes. you can make right you can make a a choice about what's more valuable to you when you have choices ahead of you and you're uncertain but if you know where you're going then the obviously the right choice is the one most valuable in keeping you on course and the trick to that is to not imagine that you will know where you're going when someone else tells you, like God. Yes. Or, you know, or, you know, no. So, so we think that I, I don't know what the real purpose of my life is. I haven't, I haven't discovered my life mission yet, whatever. And we think that it's going to come to us from some other source. But so uh, when I, I had that conversation with God, I said, you know, what is my life purpose? God said, what is your life purpose? I said, yeah, I'm waiting for you to tell me. And God said, yeah, I'm waiting for you to tell me. And I said, no, you're, you're the one who's supposed to tell me. And she said, no, you're the one who's supposed to tell me. And I said, but God, you're the one who knows. And he said, no, but you're the one who knows. So you know, I, I, I said, are you, are you telling me that I have freedom to choose whatever I want to choose? Mm -hmm. God said, ah, now you're getting it. You have free choice. Yeah. Choose to be, do, and have whatever it is you choose to be, do, and have. But I'm not going to sit here and dictate to you. You are not minions in the kingdom of God, and you either do as I say or you meet with my disapproval. That's not what's going on here. So you get to decide. Now, when it comes to what is the agenda of my soul, I get to decide what is my North Star? What have I decided is the place to which I am headed and where I want to go. Who am I? Who do I choose to be? I mean, do I choose to be the grandest version of the greatest vision ever I held about who I am? Or do I choose to be whatever spontaneously comes up for me when I lose track of my emotions and go back to my original thought? I love Shakespeare. He, he was very clear to be or not to be, mm -hmm. that is the question.
-hmm. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, or to rise up against a sea of troubles, and by opposing end them to die, to sleep, to sleep, perchance to dream. Beautiful. <laughs> he totally got it. He totally got it. Yeah, he did. He also said, there are more things in heaven, earth, or ratio than are dreamt of in philosophy. Yeah, just when you think you know yeah, all you exactly. need to know, you realize, <laughs> hmm, not so much, not so much. So old, so soon, so smart, so late. <laughs> right? So, so Neil, um, what... I mean, I really would love to talk about metaphysics. I don't know if we have the time though. Um, do you want to touch on that for a, a, a minute or two before we kind of um, let listeners know some of the things that they can start really focusing on if, if they want to practice this idea? Yeah, uh, um, the, the whole second half of the book is about that, of course. But I, yeah. I, in, in, in brief, I would invite people to decide what it is, what state of being they, they choose to inhabit, and then to allow themselves to step into the feeling of that state of being even prior to a particular event or outcome occurring. And if we step into that state of being, then I suspect that that projects energy, energy into the universe that impacts upon the universe itself, in, impacts upon our immediate environment. And I want to say, to use a catchphrase, it changes the vibe. It alters the vibration. Metaphysics is an announcement that we are simply energy projectors and that the energy that we project into the world around us actually impacts the world around us. It actually impacts the energy of everything uh, in our environment. And that we have the ability, therefore, to alter the physical presentation of life by altering our idea about it and our thought about it and our, our emotion and our feelings about it. Feelings are the, are the language of the soul. The soul always knows what it is that you are choosing to be and what aspect of divinity it is your opportunity to demonstrate in any given moment. Mm. So uh, when I say to people, if you want to start practicing metaphysics, allow yourself to be aware that you are a source of energy that is being projected through you, by you, and from you into the world at large in everything that you think and say and do. Mm -hmm. And once you begin to, it doesn't have to be a discipline that, that you know, burdens you trying to, you know, work at that level, but it's simply a, I almost wanted to say a lighthearted choice. Lighthearted in the sense that it makes your heart feel very light. Yeah. To know, to know ah, I, 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 I see that the energy that I'm putting out directly affects that which is coming in mm -hmm. to my life. I mean, I, you know, Everyone has been saying this for thousands of years. I'm not new with this. Yeah, uh, but well, sometimes we say things in a new way or somebody's just now ready to hear it, you know, ready to receive. 
the, the messages. Um, so you, you know, I think that when a person is called, that's your calling to, to share those things in, in your voice, in your words, even if they're maybe not new things, but they may be new for someone. And that's, that's, what's important. Um, and I, I, I made a note here of a, one of the sentences that I love in your book when I was reading about masterful metaphysics. Um, and I think this this actually kind of brings us back around to what we started talking about at the at the top of the hour um, when we were talking about there is no separation. And you said in there calling forth the God energy that is within rather than calling for it. So to be with you. So rather than beseeching for something out there to come and, and aid you or guide you or help you, you you're saying um it's it's within you and there's because it's not separate it's not out there it's it's within and i think that it's really an important um distinction um to make and understanding that might help people with that whole idea of nothing's we're not really separate and the fast i agree with you and the fastest way to experience that it is within is to give it to somebody else Mm. That That is, I was told in conversations with God, whatever you wish to experience in your life, whatever it might be, more abundance, you know, uh, more love in your life, yeah, whatever, whatever it might be, more humor, you know, whatever, more companionship, whatever you'd like to experience more of in your life, be the source of that in the life of another. Mm-hmm. Then you are resourceful. That is, you are full of being the source. Yeah, you call it forth from within. You're not calling for it. You're not calling for it. I call for this. You are calling it forth from within. And but here's the magic of that. The reason I'm saying that to do that, the magic of that is that as you supply what it is you want in your life to another and cause another person to experience what you want to experience, as you give to another what you wish to have, you experience that you already yeah. have it and you understand yeah. oh i see now, I'll, I'll give you one simple really simple it's almost a simplistic example so simple i'm kind of embarrassed to share it but it's true i remember i was walking down the street uh, one day when i had very very uh, little little money uh, and i saw a street person who didn't have any money at all they were they, they had a few coins in a little basket at their feet, sitting on the ground, uh, leaning up against a building as I walked by. And I reached into my pocket. I didn't have a lot of money. I, I had very little money. But I thought, you know, so I, I found crumpled up $10 bill in my pocket. And to me, in that day, a, a $10 bill was a lot of money. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just something. But I put it in this guy's basket. I remember, oh, just put it in his past. He couldn't believe that somebody had actually given him $10 on the sidewalk, on the street. He was so grateful, so happy. I walked by, I now had virtually nothing in my pocket. I had about $2 left in my own life at, at that moment. Mm-hmm. But it, it, would, it would be, of course, that day that I received information. Crazy. Uh, that that uh, someone had passed away in my family and had left me a substantial amount of money. 
and I know. I mean, wow. That's, that, that's crazy because, but, but I, I, I did not miss the connection. I went, oh, I see. Mm. What happened when I gave that man my last $10 was I allowed myself the feeling of havingness that I already have that abundance, enough abundance to share it with somebody else. Yeah. And then the universe gives, you know, God has only one word in her vocabulary. He simply says, yes. God says yes to whatever you say. So you say it and God goes, uh-huh, okay, all right. If, yeah. that's what you, if that's what you say, your wish is my command. And that's, that's, that's how the universe works. It's how it's worked in my life. I could be wrong, of course, about all of this. That's how it's worked in my life. I think that's probably how it's worked in a lot of people's lives. Um, and you're right. Um, that's, it's, it's, it's really a law. Uh, and I guess it's part of the law of cause and effect or part of the law of just, I don't like to say the law of attraction because I think that there's a whole misconception around that, but you know what I mean? I, I, and so you have to be very careful with, with, the words that you use and the emotion behind them, because your wish will be granted in one way, shape or form. So make sure that what you're speaking about and speaking about with emotion is what you want, because that's what you'll get. And that means if you're focused on negativity and fear and lack, then, okay, here you go. Uh, so it's really, I think, important to remind people of that. And I think it really does work. If you really have, if you really have the faith, if you if you have any um, any real connection with your source, or you want to, you just have to try it and see what happens. I couldn't agree with you more. It has been absolutely wonderful having this conversation with you, and there's so much more I want to talk to you about, but I know that. Uh, we're, we're closing in on our hour. So what would you like to leave our listeners with as far as, um, you know, what they can start practicing or around the God solution if they really want to, you know, take this seriously and, and see what kind of effect this has on their lives and those around them? I invite people in the book to imagine that they were chief operating officer of the universe and that they had the power to create their own religion, their own belief system. And I, I, I invite people to use that in the book as a, as really kind of a mental exercise, an excursion, if you please, of the mind and the soul, because it puts them in touch with some of their deeper beliefs. So what I would leave people with is this thought. If you could start your own religion tomorrow, and you knew that everybody on the earth would be following the doctrines and the dogmas and the beliefs of your religion, what would those beliefs be? Mm. Tell I me. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. And wow, it's it's really started some fascinating conversations uh, with me among people. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's put people in touch with, you know, what do I really believe about God, about life, and about myself? Yeah. So that's that's what I would offer as we say goodbye. And thank you for asking me that intriguing question. Absolutely. And I would love to remind people too, that the other questions that you touched on a little bit ago too, is uh, just some basic things, asking yourself, who am I? Um, um, where am I? And uh, why am I here? And 
what do I intend to do about it? Asking yourself some basic fundamental questions, and then along with that, if I could start a religion, what would that look like? Um, boy, you could really, really have a whole new vision of how you want to move forward in your life. I couldn't agree with you more. And then I would have just one final fundamental question to ask you personally. How do you manage to get through life being so incredibly intelligent, so incredibly stimulating and drop dead gorgeous? Oh, I don't know how to answer that. I feel. I'm very flattered. Thank you. Those are lovely compliments. I'm just tripping along here, Neil. I'm just tripping along. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for those very lovely compliments. That, that was very sweet. Um, so I guess, uh, if, I guess I, if I ask you, hey, maybe next year you want to come back again? Oh, hoping yes. you're going to say, of course. Uh, I'll, I'll come back again whenever you want. You don't have to wait a year. We could do it once every third month. We could do it five or six times. We can make it a regular feature if you wish, whatever you want, because ah. I enjoy the interactions with you. That sounds like an amazing idea. I'm going to put some thought around that because it would give us, if we were able to do something on a somewhat or semi-regular basis, then we could really pick out, you know, one nugget and really get into the meat of it and then, you know, move on to something else next time. Because otherwise, like, there's just so much we could cover and you can't get it all into an hour. So I, I love that idea. That would be delightful. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Best place for people to find out more about you and all of your teachings and your books. I'm going to say neildonaldwalsh.com is probably the best place. Good, good idea. Thank you very much. Okay. And we will put that link in the show notes as well. So it's easy for people to find you. And, uh, and I can't wait till we do this again. Thank you so much for your time and your wisdom. I love and, it. We'll see you good. again soon. Yes, you will. All right, everybody, that's a wrap. So please go out, get the book. I'm going to hold it up one more time. It's lovely. And if you're not a reader, it doesn't matter. It's a very, uh, it's not a big fat book and it is just full of all kinds of wisdom nuggets. And I think it will really help you um, moving forward if you are looking for something, a better way to live, a better way to think about things, a better way to think about life. Um, all right. So also go back and listen to our last conversation, the one I had with Neil last year, episode 102. And then to find out more about private coaching with me, head on over to lauriebischoff.com. And if you love this and you found value in it, please share the show and spread all of this good God shift around. Don't keep it to yourselves until next week. Everybody stay feisty. Stay loving and go make some epic shift happen in your lives. And that goes for you too, Gary Vee.